All right, well, we're continuing on in our series. Two more weeks in our Cultural Distinctive series. We're talking about what makes us us. And as I was thinking about it this week, I was reflecting on one of the fables or legends that I've loved. I've always been a reader. I've always loved reading of, of kingdoms of old. And probably my favorite is Camelot. If you've heard of Camelot and uh, King Arthur, raise your hand. I just want to know that you're tracking with the great People still know about that. King Arthur, this noble, chivalrous king that led the utopian society, this place where everyone was treated fairly and justly, where everyone prospered in a kingdom called Camelot, led with the knights of the round table. But what I love equally is how King Arthur became King Arthur, his ascent into power. Stephanie, would you hand me my sword? Thank you so much. This sword stays in my, yes, stays in my office. Only the bravest of wives can handle it. And, you know, King Arthur, how he became King Arthur, Arthur was actually an orphan. And in order to make ends meet, he became a squire for a knight. And this young orphan one day to his uh, horror didn't bring the sword for his night that he assisted to fight that day. And so he ran back, and he was going back to, to, to go and, and get his knight's sword. When he comes across a church, let the reader understand. Think about that. And in the churchyard is a sword, and that sword is stuck in a stone, much like this sword is stuck in my pulpit. And Though the wise wizard Merlin had put a spell on the sword. Uh, now, we don't, we're not into wizards or spells, but this is a good illustration, so we'll forgive the story. The wise wizard Merlin had put a spell on a sword because he was looking for the rightful heir to the throne of Camelot, and he said, whoever pulls this sword out of this stone is the rightful heir to ascend the throne of Camelot. And so many knights came from near and far trying to pull this sword out of this stone, but no matter how strong they were, no matter how, how uh, seemingly appropriate they would be to be the king, they couldn't remove it. And so Arthur, on his way back, just happens to see a beautiful sword in the stone, realizing I could save a lot of time if I didn't return all the way home. I just grabbed the sword, just takes it, puts his hands on it, whoosh, and everyone went... Ah, right. And so he shows up, and he hands the sword in the knight contest to his knight, and everyone goes, oh, come on. You can do better than this. Because this is Excalibur. And they, they, they thought, no way. That is the sword of the king. Merlin looks at it. Sure enough, it's right. So they go put it back in the stone, and all the knights go back to try to pull it out. Ooh, ooh, they can't pull it out. And then little orphan Arthur goes back up again and just... And everyone says, yeah, you're starting to get this. And they realize you're the rightful king. And there and then uh, Merlin takes the sword and knights him king of Camelot. And through an act of sovereignty and supernatural favor, this young orphan becomes a king. And therefore, understanding that it was purely by grace that he had become king, freely gives favor and blessing and creates a beautiful kingdom. Here's the moral of the story. Would you take my sword, my wife? Thank you, my dear. 
Here's the moral of the story. When you know that you've done nothing to deserve favor and blessing, you are free to give that favor and blessing to everyone you meet. When you know you've done nothing to merit favor and blessing, you become free to generously give that favor and blessing to everyone you encounter. And that's what we want to talk about this morning is we want to talk about our fifth lightning bolt. If we could put up this diagram, you saw we've been talking about this every week in 2007 when we knew that God had called us to move to San Diego to plant All People's Church. He gave us these different lightning bolts. We called it the lightning bolt vision out of Luke 4:18 and 19, spirit-empowered ministry to the poor, the bold proclamation of the gospel, healing physical, emotional, and racial pain, and blessing the body of Christ. This morning, we're going to focus in on blessing the body of Christ. Can we read Luke 4, 18 and 19 together? Would you read that with me? Let's read it together. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me, I'm not hearing you, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is how Jesus defined himself when he came into that synagogue in Nazareth declaring himself to be the Messiah. He read from the scroll of Isaiah in Isaiah 61 and defined his ministry in this way. And this is where we've taken these five components that are found and said, this is what we want to be about. If we're going to have a church called All People's Church, then we want it to be all about Jesus and we want to do what Jesus did. And so today we're skipping over to the last one. We'll move back. Next week we have a special treat for you in stores. We talk about healing of physical, emotional, and racial pain. We'll be doing some amazing testimonies testimonies, talking to people who have actually had their lives touched and transformed in those ways. But this week, we're going to move to one of my favorite topics, which is blessing the body of Christ. And what's the body of Christ? It is the church. And it's not just a little church, one church. It's the capital C church. It's every church. And it's not just church buildings or groupings of people. It's every Christian. We understood that we weren't just to preach the gospel to the lost. We understood that this wasn't just going to gather one group of people and have them live in the favor of God. But if we moved to San Diego, we started a church. We wanted the whole body of Christ in San Diego to be thankful and to actually say, man, we're, we're blessed you came because you don't just care about your own little group. You care about us. You care about all these different people. Now, here is the thing. Arthur, because of this supernatural favor, because he was chosen, because he became royalty, he was able to love and bless everyone around him. I want to tell you that's actually your story. The power behind that story is it's what has happened to you. Listen to this in John 14, 18. Jesus says this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Arthur, an orphan who found out that he was supernaturally pulled into kingship. That sounds like an amazing story, but can I tell you, it's actually your story. You're not an orphan any longer. Romans 5, 6 through 8 explains how this happened. It says, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. 
but God demonstrates his own love for you, for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's nothing that you did to earn the favor of Jesus. He pours it out on you. It's because of his goodness. And watch what happens to us. It says in 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen people. You might not have ever felt chosen before in your life, but when Jesus died for you and he's calling you by name or you wouldn't be sitting in this room today, it says you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Do you know that you're royalty? A holy nation. Do you know that he's making you holy? God's special possession. Do you know that you're special? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Do you know you're no longer in darkness, but into his wonderful light? If we learn that we're chosen, that we're royal, that we're special, that we've been highly favored, then we can freely pour that out on others. But unfortunately, I find that many Christians are living more as orphans than as royalty. I don't know if you've been around orphans. I remember... When we were uh, young men, before I was married, we, we lived, we had a house in the inner city and would actually take guys off the street. And I remember taking this, this one guy, he had no parents off the street, he had lived uh, as a street kid. And we took him into our house and it was amazing the mindset he had. It absolutely broke my heart. He'd hoard things late at night when all, we were all asleep. He'd go to our refrigerator and just eat all the food because he was always concerned that there would never be enough. He had a scarcity mentality. And you know, I find that oftentimes we as believers can have a scarcity mentality. I want to I explain to you the difference between a scarcity mentality and abundance mentality today. I want you to take an honest assessment of your life as we go through this juxtaposition between the two. And I want you to ask yourself, which one do you have? Let's start a scarcity mentality versus an abundance mentality. Scarcity mentality says there is never enough. Uh, you know what I, how I notice this? When, whenever I, I, I've had friends over and um, I'm about to, to give them something and I look and there's only about this much milk left, and I, I start kind of freaking out, like, oh my gosh. If I get, Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever... Is anyone else like me where you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm not going to have any milk? I mean, it's milk, for crying out loud. You know, two bucks. But I, I, oh, oh. And, and for me, it's goat milk, so it's even more precious because I have an actual cow milk allergy. So my precious, right, my, my goat milk. Uh, with an abundance mentality, there's always enough goat milk where that came from. Scarcity mentality, stingy with knowledge, contacts or compassion. And maybe this starts hitting us at work or at school. I, I don't want other people to make as good grades as me. Or I don't want people to, to actually understand how to do this and work because I think if they know that, then I won't be valuable anymore. But in abundance mentality, it's happy to share knowledge, contacts, and compassion. Let's keep going. Scarcity mentality, default to suspicion. What, do you, what does that person want? It's hard to build Rapport. It's hard to, to, to build those friendships because everyone's a competitor. Look at this. Default to rapport and building trust easily. You naturally trust people. In the scarcity mentality, we resent competition. We hate it when someone else moves into our territory or our turf, makes the pie smaller. There's only, there's only this little pie, and if someone else gets this, I, I won't have my own. 
But a, a, an abundance mentality welcomes competitors, makes the pie larger, makes them stronger. The more strong people around, the more strong we're all going to be. The more great people, it's going to raise all of our levels. Let's keep going. They ask themselves, how can I get by with less than expected? Because certainly I'm not going to have enough. But an abundance mentality, how can I get more than expected? A, pe a, a scarcity mentality is pessimistic about the future. Oh, my goodness. 2020 was horrible, but wait till 2021. Right? Uh, 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 an abundance mentality, optimistic about the future. Hey, how could things get worse in 2020? 2020 is going to be, 21 is going to be awesome. We can only go up from here. <laughs> the best is yet to come. Let's keep going. Scarcity mentality. They think small. Avoid risking because I don't want to lose what I already have. I'm reminded of a parable of someone that hid their talents. Abundance mentality. They think big. Embracing risk. The next scarcity mentality. They're entitled and fearful. An abundance mentality, they're thankful and confident that God always has more and he's always going to do more. Is that it? I think that's it. So my question is, as you look at those today, do you have a scarcity mentality or do you have an abundance mentality because you are chosen, you are royalty, and God always has enough. He's the God who says, my God will supply your every need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And so as we look at this scripture and as we talk about this fifth lightning bolt, here's what I find. So many times we can have this mentality that says, well, yeah, that's when Jesus came, but things were just different in the first century. Things were just different. Like now we're living in COVID. Now are bad times. Like Sometimes we have a, a feeling, I mean, the thing about the Arthur and, and Camelot and the Knights of the Round Table, well, that's just a legend, and everything goes right in legends and in Disney movies, and, uh, but, but this is now. And here's what I find as I study the Bible. When Jesus came and said, this is the year of the Lord's favor, Luke 4.19, that's what we're talking about today. This is where we get this fifth lightning bolt to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor that we are called to tell people that, that Jesus has come and he's good and there's blessing and favor for them. Things were actually bad when Jesus showed up. We think that leadership in America is rough in 2020. Try King Herod. King Herod, when, all the, when, all, when, when, when Jesus was born, he had all the kids under two years old killed. That is a bad king. He killed his own sons later on because he thought they were trying to overturn him. Then he takes his brother's wife and, and has adultery with her in public. This is a bad dude. We think we have a bad, this guy is bad. We think we had infighting. Look at the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They were beating each other up. They hated each other. Brawls would break out because of the, the political infighting in this time. We think taxes are bad and the economy is bad then. No, they were being crushed by taxation by the Roman Empire. This was a bad time, and yet Jesus shows up and says it's time to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor because when Messiah shows up, when Jesus shows up, he changes everything. And I love that as we look at this scripture, it's so clear that it was to people in very broken places. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the 
poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Sometimes we think, well, God has favor for other people, but man, I'm poor, or I'm oppressed, or I'm a prisoner. No, these are the exact people. I want to tell you, sometimes your problems are the very setup for the glory of God. We actually need to rejoice in our trials because that is when Jesus can manifest his power the most greatly. I was a, a, a young man with a heart condition. I was just thinking about it today. I actually I was putting on my socks. Sometimes we just have kind of a, a burst of revelation. I was putting on my socks, and I, I thought, I'm 44, and I am going to preach today. And I, I was supposed to be dead at 13. I had a heart problem that almost killed me. I kept getting rushed to the hospital over and over and over again. They thought I was going to die. I'm like, ha ha, I'm alive. <laughs> this is awesome. And I even went to the gym this week. Ha ha. You know, so many of you are walking miracles that you are, are here, but it's in our problems that the glory of God is Revealed. Now, here's what the, it says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is Isaiah 61, and that phrase was just a, a heading for the rest of, of Isaiah 61. When Jesus wrote this, ancient Hebrews would have known, what does the year of the Lord's favor looks like? Well, it looks like the rest of this phrase behind this caption to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let me read it to you. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God. Hey, that's actually really good because it means that God is going to judge all those bad people that are trying to destroy Christians and, and trying to bring hate and grief and pain into the world. To comfort all who mourn. What's the year of the Lord's favor? If you're mourning today, God wants to give you comfort and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. If you felt like you're you're not pretty. You're not attractive. Just draw near to Jesus. I tell you, the most attractive people on earth, you can have the most beautiful person, but they're dead inside. But someone draws near to Jesus. Have you noticed they just start glowing? Some of you are glowing today. You don't need oil of allay. You need Jesus. The oil of joy, speaking of oil, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I remember when I went off to seek the Lord early on in the church, I said, Lord, I need a five-year vision for all people's church. And I went up, I was in Santa Barbara, and, and I, I'm praying, and I sensed the Lord. It was one of those times where I felt like I heard him so clearly say, I'm not, I don't want to give you a five-year vision. I want to give you a 50-year vision. And he said, look down, and I looked down, and there was this ravine full of oaks, these massive, beautiful oaks right by this stream. And he said, that's your vision. For the next 50 years, you are going to raise up oaks of righteousness, people that are planted deeply by my streams of living water that grow strong, that have beautiful green branches that provide shade for a hurting and broken world. Can I tell you that God's call on your life? You might feel weak today, but he's making you into an oak. He's making you strong. He's making you unshakable. He's making you a refuge and source for other people. And this is what we're called to be for the body of Christ. We're called to bless the body of Christ. We're called to, to speak favor and blessing. But here's what I find 
is that so oftentimes, uh, even we as Christians, we kind of just want to be to ourselves. Like, well, our church, our church, we have the best tent. Um, You don't have a tent like ours. Or our church, right? We sing the coolest music. Um, Our music is so much better, right? Or, you know, we, we do this or or, or, or we have, like, we are so sectarian. We're so about, we're, we're, we're so like our, our little group. And that, that is just how, how Christians are. You know, we're like, we, can, we become like little fraternities and sororities. Well, I'm from Alpha and Omega, right? That's, that's mine. You, you don't belong with a, it, you know, that, that, that is how, this is as old as following Jesus. There, there was a time where the disciples, this is a story about the disciples. If you want to look with me at Mark chapter 9, watch, watch how the disciples were. These are the early disciples. Teacher, said John, said John the beloved, said John who had his head on Jesus' chest, said John the disciple of love. Look at what John the disciple of love says. We saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop. Someone else was having Freedom Day in another part of town and we said stop because only all peoples can have Freedom Day (laughs) because he was not one of us. Good job, John. That's awesome. Can't you see Jesus going? He goes, John. Do not stop him, Jesus said. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever's not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of cold water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose his reward. Guys, it's so embarrassing how normal it is to be competitive, even in Christianity. Oh, my goodness. You know, it. Uh, I, I hate to admit, but I'm going to tell a story on myself. Um, I, I remember we were doing a college service on state campus, and, and state campus is big, 40,000 people, and we probably had less than 100 people, and, and, and I remember um, this leader showing up. I mean, you could just tell, you know, someone walks through the room, and you're like, oh, that person's a leader, and they walked in, and I was like, yes, I needed that leader. I walk up to the guy, hey, how are you doing, man? I introduce myself to him, and I said, hey, you know, what's going on? He goes, oh, hi, I'm coming. Uh, We're about to move here to plant a church. And I went, in my heart, I went, dang. I was like, man, what? I'm planting a church. (laughs) You're a leader. I need you with me, man. And then I said, oh, I said, you know, and so I'm like, oh, cool. What kind of church? He goes, man, one that's all about preaching the gospel, making disciples, a multi-ethnic church, like reaching students and the poor. I'm like, that is our church. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm I'm like, dang dang it. And you're like such a leader, right? And and I'm and then I have this memory, like I'm immediately having this memory of when we showed up and I heard about a church called Harbor Presbyterian. It's now called The Bridge. And I show up there with my staff and I meet the lead pastor. I'm seeing this beautiful, diverse church in City Heights. And I walk up to meet the pastor. His name was Stephen. And I introduced myself and he said, you know, what are you doing? I said, I'm here to plant a church. He immediately goes, praise God. 
He goes, we've been praying for more church planters to come. Welcome to my city. So while I'm talking to big leader in our college service, that story starts like, praise God. We've been praying for more. And I look at him and I'm like, praise God. We need more church planters in our city. About six months later, the guy shows up at our church with his family. I meet his wife. I was even more impressed with his wife. And, and, and they show up and I'm like, man, you know, awesome. And, 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 and I mean, I, that was my, right. Um, and, and he ends up saying, hey, um, we moved here. My wife is pregnant. It's kind of a harder pregnancy. And so we just need a place to camp out and my, my kids to get fed while we're here. Can we just camp out in your church? And I'm thinking, awesome. You're like stud leader, going to get to know all our people and then launch out with a new thing. I'm like, yes, welcome. Welcome to our, welcome to our church. And, and so this guy, this guy hangs out and then he starts getting involved. And, and, and about a year later, he comes in, he has this paper and he puts it down. He goes, this was my, my church planning plan. And the Lord spoke to me to lay it down and join you guys. His name is Jason Weathered. <laughs> he preached last week. And man, I'm so blessed uh, that, that you joined us, Jason. And I, your message last weekend was amazing. I've been listening to it this weekend. Um, I can't guarantee you that that's going to happen when you welcome someone into your business. When you, when you welcome a new family into your school and all of a sudden, it might not go that way. Their kids might actually get the part that you wanted your kids to get in the play or become the, 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 the class president. Or, or you might welcome someone in your business and they actually might get the promotion that you wanted. Or you might make, make way for, for someone to come in and they actually get the financial raise. But can I just tell you this? When we bless the body of Christ, the Bible says this, even a cup of cold water in my name won't lose its reward. There is an eternal reward when we bless those in the body of Christ. There's an eternal reward for us, and that is the kind of people that we want to be. Now, here is what I find. So many of us, we don't do that because we actually don't believe that the favor and blessing of God is on us. I found that I have to continually remind myself. Most days, I'm not putting on my socks and go, "Woohoo! I'm alive!" Right? Most days, I'm like, "I gotta, I gotta make it through another day." The whole world is against me. Have you ever felt like that? I mean, it's totally not. It's totally not against you, but you're like, the whole world. I doubt my wife will even hand me my sword. As an illustration, no. <laughs> so many days we don't feel like that. And so I, I'm so thankful that I had a mentor that, that, that taught me to, to, to meditate on the Word of God so I would know the blessings I have. I remember one of the, the, one of the main passages that the guy who mentored me had us focus on was Psalm 103. I want you to look there with me. I want you to look at this Psalm 103. I spent years meditating on this every day. 
so I could know the blessings and favor that are on me in Jesus. And it's not just on me, it's on you. Listen to this with an open heart and a mind of faith. Praise the Lord, or it says, bless the Lord, my soul, almost my almost being, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Now watch these benefits that are yours. He forgives all your sins, and he heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, and who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is restored like the eagle. I want to do something with you so that you will never forget this text. I want you to stand up with me right now. Stand up. This is interactive church. You'll never forget Psalm 103 because we are going to do the motions that I was taught years ago because this this is the favor you walk in. So the, the Bible says, bless the Lord. Say, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. Oh, my and all that's within me. Okay, so I'm going to teach you the first one. What has God done for you? He says, forget not all of his benefits. The first thing he does is he forgives all of your sins. Wipe those sins off. I don't know about you, but I have sin. Man, I was a cheater, liar, luster. Man, I was in all, I mean, man, I do not deserve to be doing what I am doing now. But you know what? It's not because of me. It's because God forgave my sin. So just get this sin off of you. Some of you felt like I used to feel. I felt so shameful. I felt so yucky and icky. And so I just wake up and I say, he forgives all of my sins. And just get that sin off you. Come on, let's see, let's see you do it. He forgives all of your sins. The second thing he does is he heals your sicknesses. Now, anyone I know that's walked with, with Jesus for more than a, a decade or two, they've had some kind of healing, whether it's physical, emotional, or spiritual. If, if, if God has healed you of something in your life, will you just ray, wave your hand at you? Look at that, it's insane. And, and so I try to remember that. So here's, here's my thing for heals, he heals. He heals. Do the televangelist. He heals all of, all of your sickness. So every day I remind myself, you heal my heart. I was about to die. Now, here, here's the thing. I don't know why he doesn't heal everything. I still have really bad scoliosis. I have an amazingly healed heart, and I have scoliosis. I don't understand. On this side of the earth, uh, on this side of heaven, we'll never understand. But, man, I love that God heals. And so he heals. Do it one more time. He heals all of your sickness. So he, he forgives. He heals. And then, this is a good one, he redeems out of the pit. Pull someone out of the pit. Pull someone out of the pit right now. He redeems your life from the pit. Man, I lived in the pit. Man, I don't know if you've ever dealt with depression before. I have. Whew, that is miserable. I don't, ever, I don't know if you had some, some, some friends that weren't uplifting friends. Man, in high school, my friends just brought me down. And you know what Jesus did? He redeemed my life from the pit. He gave me friends like my friends in this church. Man, he redeemed my life. He redeemed me from depression. So let's pull, pull ourselves up. He redeems your life from the pit. Man, I hope you're getting encouraged. Here's the next one. This is a really good one. He crowns you. Put on your crown. He crowns you with love and compassion. Right? He crowns you. This is really good for a bald guy because no one sees my bald spot. When I have this crown, when I have this crown on, he crowns me. Man, if you don't have love, if you don't get love from Jesus, you're going to be looking for love in all the wrong places, like the country song says. So every day I'm thinking he crowns me with love 
and compassion. You know, self-pity just takes us out. But when you start understanding, no, God cares more about me than I care about myself. He crowns me with love and compassion. Here's the next one. He satisfies your desires. Go like this. <laughs> he satisfies. He satisfies your desires with good things. Here's what I find. I walk with God. He's actually changed my desires. I used to desire really gross things and bad things. Now I desire good things. And here's the thing about God. I don't understand why, but he even blesses us in ways that we don't need. Man, last summer, I've been a fisherman all my life. My first day of my sabbatical, I go fishing, no fish are biting. And I say, Lord, Man, Genesis 1, you, you, you gave Adam authority over fish. I speak authority over the fish right now. I, no lie, next cast, eight-pound bass. He satisfied. Why would God care about giving me an eight-pound bass? Why? Because he satisfies your desires with good things. You surfers, man, he brings in that swell for you. You cat lovers. He brings the perfect little kitty cat for you to pet. <laughs> right? He, he is good, and he, sat, say he satisfies. He satisfies. And here's the last one. Here's my favorite one. So that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Come on, give me that nacho libre. He said, I, I can't tell you how many times I feel burned out. I feel tired. I feel wiped out. I think I need a year vacation. And I come into a worship time like this, or I read something in the Word, or I, I, I get prayed for by a friend. And man, it's like it just renews me like the eagle. Let me see it one more time. He renews your youth like the eagle. So you know what I did for 10 years? I prayed this out over myself every day. I memorized the scripture and I just started praying. Thank you, God, that you've forgiven my sins, that you've healed my sicknesses, that you redeem my life from the dead, that you crown me with love and kindness, that you satisfy my desires with good things, that you renew my youth like the eagle. Go ahead and sit down. You can give favor because you have received so much favor. So let me finish. I just want to give you some practicals. How can you bless someone? Here, here's what I want you to do. Take a picture of this next thing or write these down. I want you to do one of these this week. Let's not just be hearers of the word only. Let's be doers. What can you do to bless someone in the body of Christ? Number one, write someone an encouraging note. Man, your words... People say sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. No, I'd much rather get hit by a stick than have someone cut into me. But how much more does a rightful word bring healing in life? So I encourage you, write a note to someone this week and see what it does in the heart. Next, bless someone with a meal or monetary gift. I can't tell you how much I, I've heard through the years. Someone got like a little gift card for a Chipotle for 10 bucks, and it meant the world to them. You, you, don't, you, you don't need to wait to give someone a thousand bucks. I think probably everyone could afford to give someone 10 bucks and watch what it does when someone just goes, you thought about me, you cared about me. Number three, start praying for someone and tell them you're doing it. This is one thing that's actually great is tell someone you're doing it. It means the world to me when I find out people are praying for me. And you know, the longer I go, the more I feel when people are praying. I can actually feel something in the spirit. Next, give to a church or ministry over and above what you do for our church. Yes, I'm actually telling you, give to another church. 
Give to Foothills Church. Give to The Rock Church. Give to Journey Church. Give to a, a, a small church that's struggling. Give, give to someone and, and expecting nothing back. Of course, we give our tithe. We bring our tithe into the storehouse. This is our place that, that we give to, and it takes care of our spiritual needs. But I love giving to someone and something that I'll never get anything in return for. Right? That's when you release true generosity on your life. Speak well of another ministry. I tell you what, we don't tolerate in this church talking bad about other churches. Sometimes people come up to me and they say, oh, Robert, I, I just came from this church and that pastor, he doesn't love people. And, that, and, and you know what I say? I know that pastor and he's awesome. Their, their eyes always kind of go like this. No, we speak well of other churches. You know what I know? If you're talking about some other church or some other pastor, it's not long before you're doing the same about me right? And so we are people that speak and bless the body of Christ. I believe that's one of the reasons San Diego is prospering so much, even in the midst of COVID. Why God sheltered us is because we are so unified as a larger church. So I encourage you every time you hear of another church, I'm sure you can think of things that you could say that are negative. People have a lot of negative things to say about us, but why don't we be the ones who lead out in blessing in speaking life in promoting other people? And lastly, Take care of missionaries. And our women on the front row said, amen. Uh, we want to take care of those who have laid down their whole life. They've laid down their opportunities to, 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 to have homes and, and, and to have careers, to go to other places. The Bible says there is a blessing when we sow into the kingdom of God and sow into the advancement of the gospel. These are just a few ways. Let me finish with this. So we believe that you can freely bless when you know that you've been blessed. And so I want to end today in this way. I want to pray for you, especially those who, who've never felt blessed. Or this week, you just say, man, I, I feel cursed. I feel like I'm living under a curse. Or I, I don't feel special. I don't feel chosen. Can I just tell you, when you stepped into the family of God, you became royalty. And you might not have ever felt like, can we, can we just tell you, here's an interesting thing about this church. We like you. We actually, like, we actually want, if, if you're not talking to someone, it's, it's, it's because you don't want to, because we actually position people, have you noticed, every five feet to make sure you can't get by. We want to talk to you. That's why our pastors stay out. Because why? Because we like you. Jesus loves you, and so do we. And so we want you to walk out of here feeling blessed, feeling chosen, feeling special. Why don't you stand up with me?